Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Big Heads Media Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is Anthony Pegnata back with you guys as always. Unfortunately, uh, as you guys realize, there was not a recap for the Virginia Tech game earlier this week. Unfortunately, uh, we uh, have uh, Josh is on the bench uh, sick, so he's going to have to take a little bit of time off. But that's all right. We uh, we're going to bring in our guy Jacob Turner from Tar Heel Illustrated. He's going to help us to recap the game against Virginia Tech and then turn our focus towards Duke, as well as uh, talk a little bit about some of the big-time commitments that the Tar Heels have gotten here over the last couple of days. So, hey, uh, Jake, thanks for stepping in, man. Uh, I guess uh, you could say uh, you are like the Vincent Amendola of our uh, team here. You're coming in as the uh, the walk-on guy. Hey, I love it, man. You know, I got to come in and support um... – Glad to be back on too, Anthony. I appreciate you, uh, you know, hitting me up yesterday and, and want me to come back on. Always enjoy doing these podcasts. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, we we love having you on, and uh, you do fantastic work over there for Tar Heel Illustrated. So, um, let, let's start by talking about the game against Virginia Tech. And uh, I mean, look, the, it's definitely a heartbreaker. It's one that you look back on. And you say, okay, this is one that this team probably should have won against a team in Virginia Tech that's not the same Virginia Tech that we saw back in the late 2000s and the early 2010s. Um, But you know what? I I mean, it's one of those weird games. You're in the ACC Coastal and you lose in six overtimes. But, you know, what what was your initial takeaway from from that game? And, you know, is is it still – as depressing today as it was uh, the uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Anthony. It was. I mean, I think first of all, it was just a weird game. It was, it was kind of a weird one to watch. You know, Carolina. They find themselves up seventeen to seven, I believe it was, with six minutes and fifty five seconds left in the in the first half, mm-hmm. and then they somehow, you know, six minutes and fifty five seconds later, they're behind twenty one to seventeen. And you're kind of like, how, how did that just happen? Virginia Tech scores these quick two fire touchdowns, and that now they have all the momentum going into the second half. And not only do they have all the momentum, they get the ball back. So 
that I think was the biggest swing in the uh, one of the biggest swings in the game early on. But I mean, looking at Sam House stats, twenty six or forty nine, three hundred forty eight yards, five touchdowns. If you just looked at that, didn't know what the score was after the game, didn't know anything else, you would say, "Oh, Carolina won by a few touchdowns against this Virginia Tech team." But that wasn't the case. Hendon Hooker, uh, not, excuse me, not Hendon Hooker. Quincy Patterson comes in. You know, Virginia Tech ends up using three quarterbacks. Quincy Patterson comes in, in the second half and just runs all over Carolina defensively. And we talked to Zay David earlier this week, and, and somebody asked him, I can't remember who it was, you know, why was he so difficult to stop? And he didn't really give us a, a straightforward answer. He kind of said, you know, it's, it's 11 guys versus 11 guys when you got your quarterback um, running like that. And I think really what it came down to is defensively, you know, Carolina just doesn't have a ton of depth in the secondary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I can't remember how many total uh, passing touchdowns we could take out against Carolina, but it was at least four, I believe. So I think Carolina's inexperience in the second game came back to haunt them a little bit. I think guys were really tired by that six overtime, and probably even before that, just because defensively in particular, Carolina just doesn't have any depth. And I think that's going to be something that's going to continue to haunt uh, Carolina as the season goes on. But the mood, the mood in, in the post-game interviews was as depressing as we've seen it. Matt Brown was maybe besides the Appalachian State game was as – down as he's been this year. I think he was in maybe even a little bit more down after the Virginia Tech loss because when you think about it, Carolina comes to that team, uh, comes into that game as favorites. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for anybody. Virginia Tech is not a very good football team. Mm-hmm. I know they're sitting at five and two, but three of those wins have, have come against FCS schools. So I mean, they really haven't beaten anybody. Um, and Carolina goes in there and, and misses just countless opportunities to win the game. And I think that was my biggest takeaway. Is, Carolina had so many opportunities to put that game away, whether it was a missed Noah Ruggles field goal, mm-hmm. whether it was just not playing good enough defensively, miscues, drop passes in the first half. They had so many opportunities to put that game away. And I think they had at least, I think it was three or four leads of at least a touchdown in that game. Virginia Tech, you know, comes back every time instead of Carolina, you know, hitting the gas a little bit harder and pulling away. But, yeah, I mean, it was a depressing loss for everybody. I mean, not only for the fans, but, you know, for the team as well. I think they felt this one a little bit more than usual. And I'm hoping, and I think most people would expect that could bode well for Carolina going into the Duke game because not only is it a rivalry game, not only are they back home and it's homecoming, but Carolina's got a point to prove. And, I mean, when it comes down to it, they, they really can't afford to lose. They can maybe afford to lose one, two more games tops if they want to make a bowl uh, appearance uh, in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at it right now. I mean, this team is still not out of the ACC Coastal race. I mean, look, they they came in with, you know, a 33.9% chance to win the Coastal last week. Uh, FPI from ESPN still ranks them at at 30%. It still predicts them to win all of their games going forward. Basically, it's just, look, it's like you're saying. I saw a lot of people that were saying after the game, okay, the season is over you know, this team now can just, you know, focus on, on finding a way to make a bowl game. Um, but their hopes of, of, of going to the postseason, um, you know, and, and seeing Clemson once again in the ACC championship game uh, might have been, you know, dashed. But I, I don't think it's it's quite over just yet. Um, you touched on the, on the missed opportunities. I mean, look, you know, the final drive of regulation, you had a chance with 38 seconds to go to try to be aggressive, drive down, get in the field goal range. Um, first overtime, you hold Virginia Tech to a field goal, had a chance to win it with a touchdown. I thought the play calling was a little bit conservative. 
And then the yeah. second overtime, you get Georgia Tech into the fourth and three. Uh, Patterson, re- really, you know, kind of just a good throw. I mean, I know that Greg Ross, uh, you know, was there, didn't have the greatest coverage. It would have been a penalty anyways. Um, but it re- was really just a spectacular throw and a great catch by Damon Hazleton. And then you talk about the missed field goals in the third overtime. Um, th- th- that was the big one, of course. Uh, the fourth overtime, Ruggles misses the 44-yarder. And then in the fifth overtime, the Tar Heels, of course, stopped Virginia Tech, had a chance uh, to get into the end zone. But um, they went with a play that they'd ran earlier in the season against Miami uh, on the two-point conversion attempt and uh, didn't get in. So, uh, you know, look, there were a couple of things that we mentioned in there where we talked about Phil Longo. At this point, you know, where are you at with, with Phil Longo right now? Because I feel like there there are some people that, you know, are, are kind of all in on him and still think, okay, that you know, they're moving the ball down the field enough. You know, this is an offense that's still young and, and needs time to mature. But I think there's other people that are starting to see, as we saw on Saturday, that, you know, Phil Longo still makes some of those questionable decisions that we were hoping would be gone when Larry Fedora left town. Yeah, I've definitely seen the reaction, you know, particularly on social media. You know, a lot of guys kind of calling for Phil so Longo to, you know, be out. And um, I, I'm not out on Phil Longo yet. I like Phil Longo. I think I like what Phil Longo's done. Mm-hmm. I think, don't get me wrong, I completely agree with some of the games this year where the play calling has been a little bit suspect. I think we all saw the viral video on Twitter um, that Brant Wilkerson knew put out. I think that's at least that's where I saw it um, of Mac Brown going up to, to Phil and, and pretty much not in a night, not so nicely way asking him what, what call was that? Right yeah. There. So, yeah. I know, Mac said it this week and in, in, on Monday when we were at his press conference that, you know, he, he, hear, he sees the fans reaction, he hears it, he understands it, but basically saying, you know, no one's harder on the coordinators, no one's harder on his coaches than himself. So, right. I would be curious to see. I wish I could be a fly on the wall in one of the conversations, you know, in, in Mac Brown's office with, with Coach Longo. But mm-hmm. I, I think for me, I'm not out on him yet. Like I mentioned, I I, I, I do agree 100 percent that some of his play calling this year has not been the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but first year, I'm willing to give him a, him a pass. I thought really in particular on Saturday, I just thought Carolina's offensive line did not play well. Yeah, um, and, and Mac missing that, Phil missing that, and, and I asked Brian Anderson about it. And you know, you got you got to look at that. I mean, there's no no coincidence that uh, Montillus is you know no longer stop starting and Azudu stepping in now, right. which Mac Brown mentioned yesterday. So I think I feel, on the offensive line, Carolina really, somehow was pressured a lot in that game. I think maybe later in the game that might have played a factor on the in the play calls Longo was calling. I know the biggest one that I disagreed with was was the Michael Carter, I guess you would call it a swing pass to him with, you know, Virginia Tech. I forgot who it was in particular, but he just made a great play on that one. And then the same guy from Virginia Tech makes a great play in the, in the next overtime. So um, I didn't like that play call in particular. Right. I, if that guy doesn't sniff it out, you know, Michael Carter, you know, from looking at how the play was developing, I think Michael Carter gets to the end zone. But offensive line didn't play great. I think mm-hmm. that's the reason it's maybe limited a little bit because they just don't have enough experience and depth down there really. And, Another thing that really stood out that I'm not sure if people could tell on TV, but Virginia Tech did an amazing job, particularly in second half and in the overtime, of covering Carolina's receivers downfield. There was a lot of times when you'd see Sam Howell rolling out and would end up getting sacked or just throwing it away after, you know, ro- running around for five or ten seconds. And it wasn't because he wasn't finding receivers. I, 
they were covered. I mean, it, it, you got to give credit to Virginia Tech defensively a little bit in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, it's something that Carolina's wide receivers need to work on. It did seem like sometimes they would, you know, run their route, run around a little bit, and they kind of stop. So you, you got to get open for your guys. So I think there's a lot of things that Carolina still has to work on. But, I mean, you look at it, they have so many guys returning next year. you got one of the best right. quarterbacks in the country already in Sam Howell that's playing his, you know, his butt off right now. But I agree. I can definitely understand where the criticism's coming for Phil Longo. Right. Like I mentioned, I'm still not sold on some of his play calling, but I think overall he's the guy to take this program forward. But if we're still having this conversation next year and three years down the line in particular, then it really starts to become a problem. But I think right now, got to give him a pass. Let's see how he continues to do throughout the season because it really is a tough job being a coordinator. If it, if it works, right. you're a hero. and If you don't, then you're the villain. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to develop. But I think everybody, every coach on this staff still has a, some stuff to prove, including Jay Bateman. But overall, mm-hmm. I'm willing to you know still work with Phil Longo and see where he uh, can take this team going forward because I, I do think he is a good offensive coordinator. I think he will get it figured out. Oh, definitely. I, you know, I, I, trust me, I'm not on that bandwagon either. I was seeing yeah. some people that were kind of, uh, you know, saying, okay, you know, is this, is this experiment not working? I, I'm not quite there just yet. Um, I'm with you. The Michael Carter uh, play in the fifth overtime was, was kind of confusing just because we've seen that before. That's yeah. something that has been on tape. So you would figure that Virginia Tech knew that was something that could be in the arsenal. Um, that, that was my only real issue with that. Um, you know, I, I, there was some, you know, me, me and Josh were talking about it. There was a little bit of discussion about the, the, the one in the sixth overtime. I, I thought it was, it was fine. It, you know, I think Sam held the ball just a little bit too long. Um, one of the things that I, I found interesting that I do want to see more of was the under center package that they ran for the touchdown to Daz. Uh, I thought that was very interesting that Daz lined up at tight end. I don't know if they will see that all that often uh, the rest of the year. But, I, I, you know, I, there were some things that were good. There were some things that, you know, were kind of head-scratching. And, and the drive that you were referencing where Mac Brown was kind of asking him, you know, what what – the hell was that um (laughs) you know it was I I believe it was the final drive of regulation where I don't it to me it looked like two of the two of the calls were designed runs one was a designed run by Howell to see if they could get anything get a little momentum going then they ran it again with Michael Carter and then the third time I don't know if it was just that Sam didn't see anything initially and took off but at that point I think people were just kind of saying look you know we were asking you through throughout most of the day to use our running backs because Michael Carter had a good start to the game um you saw Javante Williams I mean he he was you know wasn't on the field all that often early um but kind of came on as the game went along so I think that was kind of where people were at where they were saying look you know you've been throwing the ball the whole game now we get into a situation where you have to throw the football and for some reason you you, we're not throwing the football I you know that that was one of the things that was interesting I mean you saw it. Were you kind of with uh, some of the fans where you thought Carolina was more effective in the run game and, and maybe should have put it on the ground a little bit more? Yeah, I, I can see. I can see the argument for that. I think mm-hmm. on that final drive in particular, me and some of the guys on on, on Press Row were just kind of talking about. You know, it's, it, it was weird because, like you said, it looked. It kind of looked like Sam. Some of those were design runs. It kind of looked like right. um, some where Sam Howe just didn't have anybody, so he ended mm-hmm. up running himself. And you know, we were saying if you know, if you just want to take this thing to overtime or whatever, you know, just just nail the ball, just give it to your running back. You don't want to get Sam out hit that much. You don't have a backup quarterback, and I think that was kind of our biggest concern with it. Is 
you don't have a backup guy. You have a walk, a true freshman walk-on quarterback is your backup option. Right. So anytime you're getting Sam Howell hit, it's just not good. It's not a good look for your team because I mean he's one hit away from you know being out for the rest of the game, and Carolina simply can't afford that. So right. I can definitely agree with what people were saying in that aspect. But I think running game wise, when Michael Carter had a solid game, thirteen mm-hmm. carries, ninety-one yards. I believe it was his third most productive game of the season, if I remember correctly. Um, so. Overall, I thought he played well. Right. I was a little bit confused on, on why Javante didn't play as much. I asked Phil Longo about Antonio Williams coming back into the rotation, which I thought was good for Carolina, and he said basically that Antonio's just been banged up over the past few weeks, hasn't really fully hmm. been healthy, okay. um, which I'm not 100% sure if I believe really because he has played on about every special team's play, so I right. don't know if that was maybe just an excuse or maybe I'm not sure what, really, what went into that because it did seem like Javante – Particularly in that first half, just didn't play a lot. Right. I tweeted it out. It wasn't. I tweeted it out, but I wasn't. I basically said I wasn't sure if he was banged up or not because we hadn't seen him in a couple drives. And then, right. You know, in the second half, he ended up getting a lot more carries, but still, he only played like thirty-four snaps. You know, I think Michael Carter played fifty-one. So it was a little concerning yeah. to see Javante not a hundred percent. I still feel like maybe he was banged up. Maybe he did something. Uh, made a mistake early in the game that caused him not to play as much because I mean Javante is in my opinion Carolina's best running back so not not have him on the field as much as you right. can was a little bit confusing but you know give credit to Michael Carter he had a solid game too and it's always oh, of a, course. It's a good problem for Carolina to have but yeah I can definitely agree with you know what people were saying you know on that last drive in, in regulation and I think really what it comes down to me is just you got to limit the amount of times you're going to get Sam Howell hit mm-hmm. so if you're going to run the ball let's give it to your running back instead of you know making your, you know, potential All-American quarterback, uh, you know, get hurt or get injured. Because just simply because it's different if you had James Ruder back there, but now that he's hurt, right. you just don't have a reliable backup. So yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that. But I, I think Carolina's running game, in particular, Michael Carter showed some good signs. But mm-hmm. the fact that Javante didn't get the ball as much, you know, against the Hokies is a little bit concerning. And, and if, that kind of, if that trend continues this week, you don't see Javante playing as much, then it's going to be something I'm going to have to ask somebody after the game because to me that just doesn't make a lot of sense. There you go. There you go. Come straight to me with that because uh, I, yeah, I need, exactly. I, I need, I need to know that. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm interested by that too. It's like you said. I mean, first six games of the year, ran for almost 500 yards, leading the team in rushing. Um, definitely the team's. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's one of the harder rushers in in all of college football. I mean, oh, yeah. the man literally yeah. will run through people. Something that you just don't see. In a lot of current college backs, so I, I did. I found that interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you know. Look, Michael Carter is is sort of starting to find you know his stride. He, he, this is uh, now three straight games with over fifty yards on the ground, and that was kind of what we were just asking for. Him was look, I mean, you've shown you've shown these signs, these flashes. I mean, remember coming at you know, or I say remember to you, you were at App State at the time, but come when he was originally brought in as a recruit, they were saying, okay, this guy is literally Gio Bernard. It's just yeah, a different guy. Right. Right. So I was, you know, and we just, we've never really seen it become consistent. It's starting to now. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I thought was interesting, and you talked about the offensive line play, I thought, you know, the, the offensive line play early in the game, at least on the in run blocking situations, was was pretty good. They were doing a great job. I mean, of course, you know, Charlie Heck is just a, a superior athlete. I mean, they're pulling him from from left tackle all the way out to um, the right D gap to in, in pull situations, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's that's 
you got to be super athletic to be able to do that. Um, but, I, you know, I thought even Montillas had a couple of moments where he, he looked good blocking, um, and Brian Anderson had a couple of nice blo- uh, run blocks. But, you know, I, I it's you're, you were right with the pass blocking. It, it just wasn't there. The pass protection really struggled. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it will be interesting to see if they will try to lean a little more on the run game as the season goes along. I mean, you said keep Sam Howell healthy. I, I don't know how, you know, how much you've heard about it, but during the broadcast, they did say that he was dealing with a left shoulder injury that was banged up or something like that. I, I don't think it was anything major. We're not talking about in a sling or anything, but he was a little bit banged up. And and you're right. I think you know that's going to be one of the key things. That's the reason I think they're making this move going to Izudu uh, at left uh, guard, and you know the guys in Brian Anderson and Marcus McKeithen on the interior, they, they've got to be a little bit better because you can't afford to lose Sam Howell. You lose Sam Howell, I mean, look, it's hard. It's always, you know, you never really know where the motivation is going to come from. I mean, look, last year uh, Minnesota started a true freshman walk-on at one time, and, and, and they had some success. But I'm going to be really honest with you. If we lose Sam Howell, it's hard to see Vincent Amendola coming in and being, you know, the guy that can lead this offense up and down the field. So uh, you, you make some interesting points there. Um, you know, I, I wanted to get your take also on there, there were two moments in the game. And, again, I want to stress this whenever I bring this up about a game. I always want to make sure that people understand the referees were not the reason that Carolina lost this game. Carolina lost this game because they couldn't execute. But I wanted to ask you, you know, there, there were two that specifically stuck out to me. The no call in the third quarter on Garrett Walston uh, going downfield, that, down the seam on third and two. If they complete that pass, I mean, Walston could have taken that to the house for six. They don't call that. And then the holding call in overtime – or in the third overtime, excuse me, um, when it would have been second down and two from the seven-yard line, that could have been um, – that. that's the one that, to me, I, I have more of an issue with because I believe that, you know, look, it's second and two from the seven-yard line. I, I think Carolina probably punches it in, and that ends, your, that, that ends the game right there. Even if not, it's a closer field goal, and as we've seen with Noah Ruggles, really good from inside of 30 yards. He's six of six this year. Outside of 30 yards, 4 of 10. So it might have been a little bit different, but do you think that those calls had a a significant impact, and is that something that Carolina fans should be allowed to take a little bit of uh, issue with? Yeah, I think in particular the Garrett Walson one was just a horrible call, really. Right, right. the coach is out on the field. I think it was Tim Brewster who was way out on the field. I think Michael Carter or somebody had to pull him back on those. Because, you know, that's his guy. He's a tight end coach. So if anybody's going to be set up, it's going to be him, but. I think for me, that Garrett Walston one in particular was, I don't know what the referee saw there. I really don't. I don't know how you can't. I mean, there was an official right in that vicinity. I don't know how you don't call right, that. Right, right. Uh, the pass interference. Cause like you or holding. Players, or holding. Yeah, he grabbed the jersey, even if it's five yards, yeah, you know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. They did something. You know, Virginia Tech's Virginia Tech defender did something illegal on that play. Right, There's yeah. no way around that. Exactly. So, I can definitely understand why people would question that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the biggest one of the game. I'd have to go back and watch. It's funny because I've watched the tape a few times, but I have to go back and watch that holding penalty again 
Um, do you think it was a? Do you think it was a legit holding call? No, I, I from looking at it, 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 the hands are on the outside shoulders. Um, it does not look like he pulls or or, or tugs at all. Um, the the reason that it got called, plain and simple, the defensive lineman went to the ground. Um, yeah. I'm gonna be really. I mean, I, I'm gonna be honest. It, there was absolutely nothing there from the yeah. replays that I saw, and um, you know, I know that. Tario fans were saying that you know they they were not fans of, of the broadcast group. I, I I mean that's that's their opinion. I, I love Tom Wormy. I think he's he's a great guy for Raycom. Um, and he I mean they were both both guys in the booth were saying that is not even close. That is not a holding. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean I know yeah from your perspective. I mean the the Walston one is a little bit easier to see. I mean you're not always going to see interior holds especially when you're in the stadium and covering the game, but. I, yeah, no, I, I'm telling you from from my perspective, and this is even an unbiased perspective. I, I'm there is no way that that should be called. Um, yeah. You know, there yeah. were definitely some penalties that you know Carolina, uh, you know, d- d- that they deserved. I mean, like the Dor- Greg Ross penalty, that was definitely a holding. Sure. Okay, there, there's no doubt about that. But on that one, you know, I, I watched it a few times, and I said to myself, I, I'm just, I don't see it here. There's there's no holding to me. So. I don't know. I thought it was it was a big change because Carolina. I, I mean, even if you don't move the ball anymore, there. Let's say you run it two more times, or, or you, if you had thrown it a couple of times and you don't get the first down. I mean, from the seven yard line, you're kicking a twenty five yard field goal, 20, exactly. 24, 25 yard field goal. And I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna trust Noah Ruggles to make that field goal. Oh, yeah. You know, at, at that rate, I mean, I trust. I thought he could make the field goal from 35 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I like you know all the people that are saying, oh well, Mac froze his kicker and everything like that. There was a timeout that was called after Mac called yeah. his timeout too. Um, and you know, look, people are saying, well, you know, you froze your kicker. We don't know if they had the wrong personnel on. Maybe they had you know an extra guy on. We we don't really know. Um, I mean, they didn't go back and, and, and replay that to count up how many guys were out there or, or whatever. So, I mean, that, who knows? There was definitely a reason that he called timeout. He didn't just call timeout to say, oh, let's, you know, let's test my own kicker. I don't think that was where Mac was going with that. But a lot of people were taking issue uh, w- with that. But, yeah, I mean, this it's just – it's a frustrating loss. I know that's one that's yeah. going to sting for, for a while. But, um, you know, I, I – yeah, I, just, to, just to speak on that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I was curious to see. I wanted to see what your reaction was too, because I've seen it a few times. I, I'm I'm one of those guys who really firmly believes that you can pretty much call holding on about 98 percent of plays in a football game. If oh you really, yeah, really wanted to definitely. So I think that was one of the instances where, for whatever reason, you call a holding call that just really isn't one. And and like you mentioned, you bet Noah Ruggles ends up having to take a 35 yard. If you just take that penalty away in itself, you know Noah Ruggles is inside the 30 yard line, no matter right. really what Carolina does, unless you know Sam Howell drops back and you know for a 10 yard you know sack or something like that. Right, or or penalty or another penalty. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happen, of course, but, of course. You know, you're going to take Noah you know, Ruggles from inside 30 any day, even five yards further at the 35. You're going to take that all day. Right. So it really was a a big penalty call and mm-hmm. and I always mention it with those with those penalties man those are drive killers they really are those, yeah. those even you know something as simple as a 5 yard holding call those are drive killers and they because they back you up they back you up further and then they end up really hurting drives a lot of the time so um 
Yeah, it, it, I, I, I agree. I think both of those calls in particular were bad. But, you know, like you mentioned, and I'm glad you, you said it, Carolina didn't lose that game because of, you know, bad officiating calls. And what it really came down to is it was a bad loss for me. The main reason was I said that in our post-game video, uh, which we put over on our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, that this was a game that Carolina really just could not afford to lose. It was a game that Carolina should not have lost. It was against a Virginia Tech team that I don't care how you sugarcoat it, that it's just not a good team. Right. So the fact that Carolina went into a, you know, really, I, I considered it really Carolina's first true, true game of the year. Georgia Tech atmosphere was not that great. Uh, right. Forest was, you know, not even even if you feel that place is never going to be that loud because it's just not that big. But this this place was loud. This place was mm-hmm. fired up. Lane Stadium was packed. Uh, the fans were, you know, I, I talked to one guy who was on the field you know, doing video for majority of the game. He said it's the loudest stadium he's been in. And granted, I mean, he hasn't been doing it for too long. He's around lines, but he's still he's come to some games and some in, in some environments. And he said that's the loudest he's been in. So um, this was a big game for Virginia Tech. And when it comes down to it, Carolina just blew too many opportunities to win right. the game. A lot of stuff okay. stands out in overtime in particular. But like I mentioned, they had three seven-plus point leads in, in regulation alone. So they had plenty of opportunities to win this game. And, and my boss mentioned it, Andrew Jones over at TH but he said mm-hmm. it was one of those things where Carolina would do something well offensively, the defense would come in and not back them up. And then right. vice versa, the defense would do something really well on that side of the ball, and the offense would come in and go three and out or something. So it was, it was really a game where the offensive defense just couldn't find a way to complement each other consistently mm-hmm. enough. But there's really just no way Carolina should have been losing that game. And I asked Jeremiah Gimmel after if it stung a little bit more, and he said it does because – like I mentioned, that's a game that Carolina controls their own destiny in the Coastal. Uh, they're favored in. Uh, they, they're confident going into, and they just blow too many chances to win it. So it'll be interesting to see, which we're about to go into, I know, how Carolina responds this weekend against Duke. But I'm expecting, for some reason, I'm really expecting one of Carolina's best performances of the season against the Blue Devils on Saturday. Well, let's, let's definitely hope for it. Before we move on to that, though, I do want to talk just quickly about the two guys that are going to move into the starting lineup. Jonathan Kim is going to take over at kicker uh, for Noah Ruggles. Uh, look, I mean, you know, it is what it is. 10 of 16 is not good, um, but it's not terrible. The main issue is, look, you're 6-6 six six inside of 30 yards. You're 4-10 of 10 outside of 30 yards. you got to have a guy that's a little more reliable from deep. So Jonathan Kim's going to come in. He's a true freshman walk-on um, from Massaponics, Virginia. I think, I, think, how, I, think that's, that's right. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so he'll take over. Uh, he actually handled kickoff duties for most of the game against Virginia Tech. I believe Michael Rubino had the first kickoff, and then Kim took over the rest of the way and looked pretty good. So he's got a strong leg. That's the good news. It's just how accurate can he be. And then Joshua Zudu, we talked about it a little bit. He takes over at left guard um, for Ed Montilla. So here's my question to you. Which one of these uh, th- these moves do you think has the biggest impact in the game on Sunday or on, on Saturday? Um, it, that's a good question, Anthony. Uh, I would say, well, first of all, I thought one thing that Max said interestingly about uh, the decision to move Jonathan Kim into the starting starting kicker role um, mm-hmm. was, I didn't realize this, but he said throughout at least the last few games, and it might have been throughout the whole season, really, that it had come down to pregame um, yep. on who was going to start because they'd been kicking mm-hmm. pretty similarly throughout the year. In practice, they've been doing you know a lot of the same things, and they really kept going with Noah Ruggles because they were basically even in in, in practice and in pregames. Because mm-hmm. Max said it many times that Noah Ruggles in practices is looking you know really really good. 
So moving Jonathan Kim in there, I mean, don't get me wrong. These guys, at least in practice every day, are on the same page because, like I mentioned, Noah Ruggles is, is, is a practice player right now, hasn't necessarily done it. Uh, continue to you know do his practice form into the game, mm-hmm. but you got a guy like Jonathan Kim moving in, who the jury's just still out on him. I mean, who really knows how well he's going to play? He's a true freshman walk on. He's done a really good job on kickoff duties, right? Uh, you know, re- replacing Michael Rubino, he's kicked it out of the end zone pretty consistently, which Mac Brown has mentioned is something that's hugely important uh, in today's game with you know just not allowing guys to return the ball. But I think Jonathan Kim, the jury's really still out on him. It's going to be tough to really tell how well. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, you know, if, if he's hitting, you know, field goals within 30 yards at this group, then it's like, oh, okay, we could, you know, Noah Ruggles will do that too. So he's not really going to be tested until he maybe against the Blue Devils. He has to kick a 40 yard or a 35, anything over 30. If he starts to make the nose more consistently, then he's the guy to roll with, obviously. But mm-hmm. obviously the jury's still out on him. And then you listen to Zudu moving in for Montillus. Um, Max said it yesterday that, you know, Montillus had, had done some good things in, over the over the first few games. You know, he had some really good games. And then, Against Virginia Tech, and, and I think even against Georgia Tech, he just hadn't been playing as consistently as, as Mac had wanted him to. And, mm-hmm. you know, they make the decision to move uh, Ozudu in there. And if, I, if I remember correctly, I, I think Ozudu was a little bit banged up earlier in the season. Um, and it was a guy they were kind of looking to get in there when they could. Mm-hmm. And now that I think he's back 100%, he's done some nice things when he's in the game. And, you know, like Max said, I, I, he, it's nothing against Montellus, but he just hasn't been consistent enough. He hasn't been playing as well as he was right. uh, earlier in the season. So you got to make a change. So to answer your question, Anthony, I think for me, I think the one that's going to have the bigger impact is probably going to be Azudu. But okay. you know, this comes down to a game where Carolina is just not putting the ball in the end zone and they're having to rely on a kicker to get the points. Right. You know, if, if Jonathan Kim goes out there and is just not being consistent, then, you know, that's going to come back and haunt them too. So it'll be interesting to see how those two position changes play out. But I'm not going into this game, you know, fearful or, or nervous about those two changes having to happen. I right. think Azuda will do a good job. And, and like you said, if he doesn't, you can always put Montillas back in there and, and maybe he'll have a little bit extra motivation uh, to prove himself. But I'm interested to see how both those guys can, can play because I, I do think Azuda and Jonathan can, can be really good players for the Tar Heels. But, you know, until they do it on Saturdays, and the jury's definitely still out on those guys. Yeah, no, uh, there's a simple solution. Put the ball in the end zone. You won't have to see a ton of Jonathan Kim. And that, yeah, that, I mean, Zudu can help that. I mean, remember, Zudu did start the spring game back in April. So, um, you know, look, there's something there. Again, you could say, okay, well, really, you know, it's a spring game. You're playing against your own guys. But still, he, he started the game and I thought was one of the more effective players. Now, he was at right guard at the time. He'll move to left guard, but I mean, look, you're you're right. Uh, they had to do something after. I mean, the the interior of the offensive line got to, w- had a really tough day. Um, you know, Jared Hewitt and um, oh, I cannot remember the first name of the guy uh, Pollard. Um, the, yeah, their I mean, defensive tackle, it, right? Tony, I don't know, something like Some, that. Yeah, both of those guys had huge days. They actually, I mean, Virginia Tech sacked Howell. Uh, five times on the day, four and a half of those sacks came from interior defensive linemen. Yep. So that tells you right there the type of struggles that they had. So, I, you know, I think it's an interesting move. I agree with you because Izudu's going to be out there a lot more often. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of Carolina fans are concerned about the move to Jonathan Kim. I mean, he, my thing is, is he was a preferred walk-on. This is not a guy that, you know, just came in, walked off the street, and was on the roster, and we're just going and, and, and saying, let's see what he's got. This is a guy that, you know, was was wanted by a few schools, 
throughout the country, and and definitely there's something there. The reason that he is not a scholarship guy is because, well, let's be honest, how many special teamers can you really offer scholarships to? Exactly. So there you exactly. go. So I'm you know I, I'm interested to see. I think I think it'll be fine. So um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about you know what to expect heading into the Duke game. I mean, look, we've lost three in a row against this team, but. I, I don't know. This was one of those games that even before the season, I kind of circled it on the schedule because I think this, you know, look, David Cutcliffe is about as good of a head coach as you're going to get. He is the perfect coach for Duke. Um, you know, he, he has gotten them to a spot that nobody ever thought they would probably be at, um, in, including some of the higher ups at Duke. Um, and I, I got to, you know, going into this game, you know, I still feel like Carolina's d- definitely got the edge in talent. Um, you, you would feel that, I mean, if you look at the two teams, who's more built to compete in the ACC Coastal, it's probably Carolina. But, I, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I like what you said. You, you think this team comes out with a little bit of extra motivation on Saturday. I, I think maybe they do the same. Um, but here's the thing. I, you know, and this is one of the things that, you know, is going to be huge for this team, not only in this game, but going forward. How do they continue what they do early in games and, and sort of turn that into a complete performance? Because we've seen this countless times this season against Miami, against Appalachian State, and then against Virginia Tech, where the team starts fast but cannot seem to carry that momentum beyond the first couple of drives in the first quarter. Yeah, I, I don't know why that's been such a problem, Anthony. We've mm-hmm. kind of asked Matt a few times, and I don't, I don't even know if he really knows. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that it, that's just been Carolina's theme this year. That's just been what they've, you know, that's just been how they played. I think more mm-hmm. really the Clemson game, you know, Carolina is, is pretty much had some really bad second quarters and played really right. good in, in, in the late in the fourth quarters, and that's something they got to get fixed. I think it's, I, I really, like I said, I don't think the coaching staff really knows why. I mean, that's, when you think about it from a coaching perspective, that's got to be a hard thing to figure out how you can start so well. And then the second quarter just kind of, you know, not play as well and, and look a little bit flat, look a little bit disinterested at times. And maybe it's just a thing. I, my, my take on it is I think Carolina comes into games fired up. I think they, you know, they, they come into games ready to play. That's why you see them usually do pretty well early on. And then, you know that, that some of that momentum goes down, some of that energy goes down in the second quarter. You got to create energy, energy, and this team's just struggling to do that. And then the fourth quarter, a lot of the times Carolina's either you know been behind a game so much that the kind right. of pressure's off for them to win the game. So maybe they loosen up a little bit better and play better, and that's why they get back into these games. Or you know, it's a motivation where you know it's late in the fourth quarter, we have nothing to lose. Let's just go out there and play. So it, Carolina definitely has to get this fixed. This team has to get that fixed. They have to cut that trend out if they want to get where they want to go this year. But, you know, speaking on Duke, I think Duke is a is a really, is a is a solid team this year. I don't think they're as good as they have been in previous years. Right. The games that they have lost have been because they've just not been able to take care of the ball. They've turned the ball over so many times. I can't remember how many turnovers they had against Virginia last week, but what was it, like four or five, I think? It was something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and they ended up getting blown out you know, in, in, uh, in Charlottesville. But, David Cutliffe, Matt spoke a lot about him. Matt said that, you know, he, he's done a really good job there. Nick, he said that he's really just steadied that ship. Him and, him and uh, Cutcliffe are, are really good friends. And you look at what Duke does offensively, you know, they like to run uh, a little bit of that double slot formation. So you got two slot receivers in there. They also, 
and then you know they'll do that one drive, you know, one play, and then the next play, the next drive, they'll, they'll do a triple option like a you know the like a like a you know Paul Johnson Georgia Tech team. So mm-hmm. they, they've uh, they've got a really diverse, a really versatile offense, and I think it's gonna definitely be a test for Duke uh, for Carolina's defense. One one good thing for Carolina is Jay Bateman has played Duke over the past few years at Army, mm-hmm. so he does have, have experience against them. But you point. know, Jay Bateman spoke really highly of what they do over there. He said they're um, you know, just very versatile in what they can do, and it makes it difficult to defend at times. When you look at Duke's defense, uh, Phil Longo said on Tuesday that, you know, watching them on film, it just look, it almost looks like an NFL team because of the multiple formations they run. They'll run, a, they'll run, you know, three or four different play types and three or four different um, schemes schematically, but they all look the same on film, so they're really hard to prepare for. He said they're, you know, if you watch them on tape, like I mentioned, it's like watching an NFL team with what some of the things they do on defense. And then, you know, Max said yesterday that on the defensive line, he said three of those guys are as good as anybody in the country. So I think this is a game where, you know, it's a rivalry game, so everything else goes out the window. I mean, Duke could be sitting at 1-6, and six and Carolina could be undefeated, and, you know, this game would still be up in the air, a toss-up, really, just because you never know what can happen in these big games. But I think, for me, Carolina's, I think, Max really emphasizing these rivalry games. Uh, I think Carolina has lost three straight. You know, Carolina seniors, and granted, they don't have a lot, have never, you know, I think there's four guys on this roster that were, you know, uh, redshirt freshmen the 2015 year when Carolina uh, you know, whooped up on Duke 66-31. I'm sure a lot of people will remember that game and that year in particular, but I think this is a game where Carolina, for me, it, it could be a perfect storm. Carolina's coming off a really tough loss, mm-hmm. and they've got a point to prove, and they know, you know backs against their wall, they got to keep winning if they want to keep their um, bowl hopes alive. they got to keep winning if they you know, want to still make it to potentially to an ACC championship game, so there's a lot to play for. Right. Then you mix that with the fact that Carolina has played really bad against Duke in recent years. They haven't been able to beat them. And then you mix that on the emphasis that Matt's putting on these rivalry games. And I think Carolina can really come out here and play Duke. But that being said, you missed it. There's a really good team. Max mentioned it many times this week that they're just super well coached from top to bottom. This is a program that's run really like an NFL organization. Obviously, they're not getting those talented players like that. They have to you know, recruit a certain type of player to come to Duke. But, you know, Cutler's done a great job of really just stabilizing that program for the first time in a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how things play out this weekend. But I think uh, Duke is a tricky team. Duke is a team that can very easily beat Carolina by a couple touchdowns, and I think it very easily lose to Carolina by a couple touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out this weekend. But I just have a sneaky feeling, you know, with all, you know, stats, analysis out the way, it's just more of just a gut feeling. I just have a sneaky feeling that Carolina's going to come out and play really well against Duke. And maybe not beat them by a lot, but I think Carolina will ultimately come out with the win. But, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a fun one nonetheless. It looks right. like the rain chances this weekend. I know early in the week it was looking like it, it might be raining all day, but I think that's pretty much gone out the window now. So that, that'll be a, it'll be a beautiful day in Chapel Hill for some football. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, I think uh, so. So basically, you, you, what you were saying is that Duke is an average team, which is pretty much what Duke nor- normally yeah, is when they come in. Yeah, no, you're 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 right. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, this is usually the time of year where Duke kind of fades after a, a good start. Um, so it, it is interesting that this is where Carolina kind of catches them. I like the fact that the game is in Keenan. Um, but, I mean, here's the thing about Duke. Uh, they are one of the better defensive teams in, in the country. Um, they, they've been for a while now. 
Um, and and look, I you know Carolina's defense is going to have to show up. I mean, look, they've done it before um, with weaker defenses against Duke, so I don't really think that's going to be much of an issue. Um, you know, I, I think that there there is going to be some extra motivation for a lot of these guys who, who haven't beat Duke so far. Um, definitely extra motivation for a guy like Chaz Surratt, who remembers the last time that he was in Keenan Stadium against Duke, and you know through through the interception that you know we all remember as the over head interception that we just are still scratching our heads about but I think that you know there's there's going to be a lot of extra motivation for Carolina as you mentioned I think that look last week they, they kind of I, you know Max said all week look we don't want to put the pressure on the guys but look it's hard when you're that young not to feel a little bit of the pressure I think this week you know they they realize that you know, it's it's a different type of pressure. It's not really back against the wall because, I mean, even if you lose this game, I mean, you're at three and five. There's still a way to get to a bowl game. But I'm kind of with you. This kind of feels like if you're going to make a bowl game, if you're going to still be around and be competitive in the ACC Coastal here until the end of the season, this is the type of game that you win. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it is going to be interesting because Duke's going to be able to attack some of the flaws that we saw in Carolina a week ago. I mean, look, Quentin Harris is their leading rusher at quarterback, so they are, they're, they're going to run a little bit of read option. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Carolina can adjust to that. And then well, you mentioned it, the strength of their defense is on the defensive line. This offensive line is still a young unit that is trying to work together and now going to have a new starter there once again. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how they step up and, and if they're prepared and ready to go. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of with you. I think the difference in this game really is the fact that, you know, Carolina has – a quarterback that is, as you mentioned, he, he's as good as there is right now in the country, especially for true freshmen. Um, I know that everybody has been all over Bo Nix at Auburn. Um, I, I'm going to be really honest with you. Right now, I don't think there's a better freshman quarterback in the country no, than Sam Howell. I don't think so either. He's, I don't he's, think so either. He's, he's been phenomenal. Right. He's just, he's just different. Um, you know, we even saw it, you know, th throughout the day on Saturday. I mean, he made some throws that will definitely get him to the next level. He, he's a different type of guy. So, um, no, I think that's, I think it's huge. I think it's big for Carolina and I, and I'm ready to see what uh, they can do uh, against the blue devils on Saturday. It should be a great game there. Um, you know, there's another reason to be happy and that's with what is going on off the field. Uh, Carolina has, uh, they've, they've done a lot of damage on the recruiting trail um, so far this season. And then last Friday, they added the biggest piece that they needed to add. We knew that this was a, a, a huge possibility. Um, he was a guy that, you know, had been a Carolina lead for a very long time. And then he commits, uh, that we're talking about Des Evans. I, I don't even think I need to say the name at this point. Yeah. Carolina fans were partying on social media like I've never seen before. Um, I think that there were probably some Tar Heel fans that probably actually threw some parties at the, later on that night after they landed his commitment. Um, but, you know, they get Desmond Evans. What type of guy is Carolina getting in Evans? I, I've seen him in person, um, and I know you've seen some of them too, but um, you know, what, what do you think that he's going to bring, and do you think he's a guy that's going to make an immediate impact when he arrives at Capitol Hill? I think, uh, I think that Des Evans... Uh, pickup is huge, and I think mainly the reason it's huge is, is just. I mean, I think, I think the main reason you look at it is Carolina's finally got a five star. Um, you know, it's, it, and right. I, I said it on Twitter last week, and I kind of got some flag for it. But stars don't always translate to success on the field. And you see it all the time. I can, you know, some of Carolina's best players 
Uh, Jalen Dalton comes to mind, four star, one of the UConn's highest recruits in that class comes in, and you know never really pans out. You know, and, and granted, you know he's a solid player. I know he got a chance with the Bears. I'm not sure if he's still on the practice squad right now. Right. But, you know, stars don't always translate uh, to production in college necessarily. Being that elite guy, it's what you do when you get here. But on paper, coming in, I mean, Des Evans is, is a top guy. You know, he's a you know defensive end, a guy that. He's definitely going to have to put on some weight, is it, is it, but he's got the frame. He's 6'6", 240. Give yeah. him a, a summer in Carolina, and man, he'll probably be up. He'll be 6'6", probably 270. He'll put 30 pounds on him easily, Brian Hess and the weight staff. So you got that guy coming in off the, off the defensive end. You look at Carolina's, I guess you could say, lack of depth on the D-line in general. I think you consider to lose Sherbridge and Crawford next year. Right. Carolina needed a guy like Des Evans to come in. They needed a guy that could come in and really um, – you know, just just make an immediate impact, and I think he will. I think the biggest question mark about Des Evans is, um, you know, how intelligent is he on the football field? What's his football intelligence like? And that's one thing that I think is going to will be interesting to see at the next level because you can have all the athleticism in the world. You can have all the, you know, plaudits in the world, but right. you have to be football smart to not only play at college football level, but just to play in Jay Bateman's defense because it's so diverse, it's so schematically driven that if you don't understand those kind of things and you can't grasp those kind of things early on, and, you know, you're maybe you're not going to play as much as you'd like to. But for me, the reason that Dez Evans' pickup was so big is because it really sets a precedent. It says, hey, we can get five-star guys not only in the country, but in the state of North Carolina. We're going to recruit the state right. of North Carolina better than anybody, which they're doing right now. You can say anything you want about NC State, but Carolina's out recruiting them in the 2020 class by a mile. Yes. And then you see Carolina stealing guys, too, from them. But Des Evans, for me, really solidifies that part of recruiting for Matt Brown. He was a huge pickup for Matt Brown. Right. And he's also a huge pickup for Carolina on the defensive line in general because I think, I mean, Carolina's got four, I think, well, I think it's four guys now, four or five guys on the defensive line um, in the 2020 class alone that are just, I mean, when you look when you look at it, they're just flat out elite guys. So Carolina's future for Carolina's defensive, defensive line in general is huge. And the 2020 class, I mean, it's just super impressive. you got basically got a five-star guy, and then you've got a handful, you know, at least six other four-star guys right there. So, right. you know, when you look at Carolina's class on paper, I mean, it's, it's better than a lot of people in the country. I mean, it's elite. It's getting to that level. And to think that Mac Brown's done that, really, I mean, you got to remember, he hadn't even been here a year yet. He came in last November. Right. So, you know, he's done a phenomenal job coming in here and getting recruiting. He's making a huge you know, making a huge um, impact on the state, and he's doing what he said he would do. He said he would dominate the state in recruiting, and he's doing that. And I'll drop a little snippet in here. I'll drop a little thing that I, I think you guys really should watch out for. Mm-hmm. Trent Simpson, you know, I mean, first or second best player in the state, according to right. who you look at him and Des Evans, decommits from Auburn. And from what I'm hearing, I think there is a very – I'll just say that there is a very, very, very strong possibility that he ends up in Carolina too. There you so, go. I mean, you got the number one, potentially the number one and number two player right. in the state of North Carolina in the 2020 class coming in, two five-star guys. And both of those guys can come in and make a huge impact into this team when you look at the positions they play. So, yeah, I mean, Matt Brown's done, son, done uh, such a phenomenal job. And if he can secure uh, Simpson now that he's got Evans, I mean, that's like two cherries on top of a cake right there and what has been a really, really good class for the Tar Heels in 2020. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, Trenton Simpson was actually the guy that I was going to ask you about next. He decommitted from Auburn on Sunday. Um, and, you know, look, we, we, we've we heard a lot about him. Uh, I, I'm yeah. with you. I have, I have uh, a, a guy that, you know, I talked to here in Charlotte um, that told me that uh, he has heard from some people that, yes, that is uh, that, that was the direction that they were heading now. 
the biggest thing, and, and I'm interested to see what you think on this too. To me, you know, I think there's a good chance he ends up at Carolina, but he didn't flip to Carolina after decommitting or, or didn't announce it in there. So it seems like, at least from my perspective, he's still open to hearing what others have to say. Carolina is a heavy favorite, but to me, I, I still think that he is going to let other schools, such as Georgia, who uh, was kind of pushing for him a little bit there before he committed to Auburn, and maybe even Clemson is another team that we've heard a little bit about. They might try to sneak in there and make a little bit of noise. Um, I mean, is that kind of how you feel as well? Because I, I just... I know Toriel fans are, are extremely excited, but I just want them to be a little bit cautious because if he was a 100% sure thing, he would have flipped. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a – I agree with you. I don't think it's a sure – Right. I don't think it's a sure thing yet that he comes to Carolina. Uh, from what I've heard from you know guys around people I work with, I think it's extremely likely at this point. Right, that right. That at least looks like what his destination is going to be. Gotcha, but yeah, yeah. You, you got to keep in mind, these are 17 year old kids. I mean, these guys can change their minds from day to day. So who knows what exactly. Exactly. I think when you look – when you just look at Carolina in general, I mean – for for Trenton Simpson, I mean, it's got to be just a, it's got to be a hard opportunity to pass up. You got an up and coming program, get play for a Hall of Fame coach, really one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Not only that, you look at what they have on the linebacker position. They got Chad Surratt, who, if he keeps playing like he continues to develop and get better and better, like he has been, I mean, there's a possibility he goes to the NFL this year. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, a I agree super likely thing, but he could. I, mean, I agree. There's a chance. It's starting to become more and more possible. I, I have said that on here, and I've said that in just talking with some people. A lot of people think I'm nuts, but I'm kind of with you. If he keeps playing at the level he's playing, it's going to be hard, especially with the fact that he is only – he spent one year at linebacker, and we always hear this more really with NBA prospects than NFL prospects. Very raw. They love getting those guys that don't have a lot of coaching just yet because they can mold them into the type of guy they want. So I'm, I'm with you. I think it's becoming more and more possible that he could end up leaving and go, in, and go to the NFL draft. I'm with you. Yeah, and you consider that, that okay, Shasterak could be gone. Mm-hmm. Dominic Ross is gone. Right. Jonathan Smith is gone. I mean, Trenton Simpson comes in, and, and it doesn't really even matter how well he plays in spring practice or fall camp. I mean, he's pretty much guaranteed a start, starting position on that on that linebacker group. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So – It'll be interesting to see if he ends up at Carolina, but I think that it's very, very likely it will be getting right. to temper expectations. You just never know. You can't you, with these kids. I mean, he has offers for me. He can go anywhere he wants to in the country, pretty much. And I think Carolina will be a very hard opportunity for him to pass right. up when you look at just at all the situations, all the circumstances surrounding it. But I mean, just imagine, you know, Carolina's first, Mac Brown's first full class. He gets the top two players in the state, a handful of other top guys um, around the state, and not only the two best players in the state, but you know top 10, top five guys in the country, especially with Des Evans, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this class is shaping up to be one of Carolina's, if not Carolina's, best ever if they can, you know, solidify that Trenton Simpson one in there, too. But, you know, according to Rivals, sitting at 14 in the country, 24 total commits. I mean, you got to, let's see, one, two, three. You got at least six four-stars and a five-star guy. And then if you get Simpson in there, too, you got two five-star guys. So, right. I mean, it, it's just amazing what he's been able to do. And you, you you can say whatever you want about how Carolina's done on the field, how Max coached on the field, uh, but you can what he's done on the recruiting show. I mean, it, it's been phenomenal, and the fact that he's been able to turn 
that a part of a Carolina's program that was, I mean, really dying. I mean, Carolina's class, what was it, sitting at 60 in 2019 when he came in? Something like that in the country. And he comes yeah. in and just completely flips it around. So if they can fully, if they can get that cherry on the top for Trent Simpson, uh, that would be huge. But even if they don't, I mean, Carolina's class next year is really good. And I don't think, I'm sure people would be disappointed if they didn't get Simpson from, you know, some of the things that are going around right now. But right. Uh, I, I can't stress enough, even if they don't, Carolina's class is, is still elite. And there's still a lot of uh, things to be excited for going into the future. Well, if they land him, look, then you get, you've got four yeah. of the top five guys in the state of North Carolina that are committed to you. Des Evans already committed, as well as uh, both of the safeties that are coming in next year, Cameron yeah, Roseman. Very good player. Yeah, I'm interested with him too because I think he. I, I've seen a lot of him over the past few years because that that was one of the guys that just from being in the Charlotte area yeah. kind of jumped on a little early and started following him. And he's, I mean, he's a guy that I think can play safety. I think he can play linebacker. I, I really mm -hmm. do. He's got the big enough body size. He can tackle just about as good as anybody. Um, I, I think it, he could definitely be an interesting guy. That's why. If for some reason they didn't land Simpson, I would not be as concerned because I think that if you if he's willing to put on the weight, Roseman Sinclair could play linebacker if needed. But also Jaquarius Conley uh, committed. But I mean, look, you're right. Right now the Toriels are in fantastic shape with him, and yeah, I'm with you. If if I had to say where he's going to land right now, I would very confidently say. Uh, he lands at Carolina. So, I mean, you mentioned the class is at 24. Uh, Steven Gosnell, the three-star wide receiver from uh, East Surrey High School up in Pilot yeah, Mountain, North Carolina. Yeah. Right. He uh, he committed or flipped his commitment from NC State to Carolina. Um, I went up and saw Jefferson uh, play a couple of weeks ago. It was their game against Reedsville. And um, I I'm going to tell you, uh, Gosnell, he, yeah, he, he is something special. That kid is uh -huh. About as good as you get after the catch. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. he mixes the speed, um, the ability to make defenders miss with hard cuts in, in the open field. Um, I, you know, he's a guy that I, I'm, I'm struggling really to find because, I, you know, I always do this whenever I, I see, you know, we land a guy. I try to, you know, get a comparison to because, like, with Des Evans, it's kind of easy. A lot of people have made the comparison to Jadavion Clowney. Um, I like I – like, uh, a, a comparison to Josh Allen, the linebacker that played at Kentucky last year, um, because he can stand up, put his hand in the dirt. Gosnell was one of those guys that I looked at, and I was like, I cannot really figure out a guy that was that dynamic in the open field like that. I mean, maybe maybe a little bit of Ryan Switzer in him, but I, I, I don't. Maybe a little bit of Switz, yeah. I, I just I didn't I didn't think Switz was was that. I mean, he to me he wasn't that shifty in the, in the open field. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong, but Gosnell. I, I mean, there's just there's something about him. He catches everything. Um, I mean, the game against Reedsville. I, I don't know if this was 100 percent right, but I know uh, Deanne King, who you guys work with, Deanna King. Yeah, yeah. She said yeah. that he had 500 yards of total offense in that game, or something like that. And I'm I'm gonna be honest, you know, like on if you see that and you weren't at the game, you would say, okay, there's no way in hell this kid had 500 yards total offense. I was there. I'm I, I'm gonna be honest. I think he may have been somewhere up near that range. He is that good. So he he's a guy that not, not a lot of people are gonna know in this class. And that's the other thing that I really like about this class is that the guys that are rated lower. 
that nobody really talks about are really, really good players. Like a guy like one of the guys that I love, Malik McGowan, I think he's, I mean, he's going to come in and be very effective. I, I don't know when it's going to happen. I think it might take him a little bit of time on that offensive line with some of the guys that they'll return to sort of find his role. But he, I mean, he's got the body size. He is, I mean, he's a mountain of a man. He can move people out of the way with ease. So, um, you see guys like him, Cedric Gray, who, uh, you know, can play at linebacker or wide receiver. I mean, there's just so many guys in this class that you just don't talk a whole lot about. Everybody's focused on Evans and, and, and you know, potentially Simpson down the line, Miles Murphy, Bingley Jones. There are the, – the depth in this class I think is amazing. And, and this is the yeah, – that's the thing that I think people have to be most excited about. Um so, I, you know, the last thing that I'll ask you recruiting-wise, how big of this, uh, you know, how big is this class going to be, do you think, at the end? I, I've kind of looked at it, and I think mm-hmm. it might be 26, 27, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, I mean, because a lot of people, you know, if you know from back in the day when you used to do the uh, recruiting on the college football video game, your biggest class you could sign was 25. That doesn't happen in real college football. You can sign more guys – but what's basically going to happen is if you sign more guys, you're going to have to make – not make cuts, but guys will leave. And I, I think that's going to happen anyways with Carolina because it's the first year under a new staff. Guys that stuck around and thought, okay, maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot and maybe you know are saying, okay, I, I, don't, you know, I don't really like where I'm at. I, I think I should go and find something that fits me just a little bit better. I think you will see a little bit of that, but how big do you think this class can potentially get? Uh, that's a good question, Anthony. I, I, you know, and really to, in order to really answer this question, I'd have to, like you mentioned, the guys are probably, there's going to be a few guys that leave. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Right. Um, but not knowing who those guys are and not knowing, I mean, there's a chance that nobody can leave. So, right. um, I, I think, I think Carolina, I think ideally, I think that range you mentioned of 25, 27 is what they want to be in. Right. I think Carolina will – I think Carolina ends up with – I have a sneaky feeling. I think they end up with at least two more guys. Uh, I, th- I think okay. I think two is the minimum they get. I think there's a potential for three. But I think I think at the minimum, I think Carolina will probably come in with – you know, like I said, I think Simpson comes ultimately, if I had mm-hmm. to say right now. Yep. I think they get one more guy after that. I'm not sure who that will be. I'd have to go look through it. But I think Carolina at most gets three, at the absolute most gets three, like you said, at 27. Right. But I, I have a feeling I think Carolina will probably end up with two more guys at 26, which, I mean, it, it would just make this – like I said, I mean, if you, if you can get a couple of – if you can get a three-star guy and a five-star guy, I mean, coming in, a three-star at the minimum, they could get a four-star guy coming in. But I think if you get, you know, you get Simpson and you get a, a three-star guy, you get a four-star guy, somebody in that that you need to fill another position. Right. This class is going to be top ten in the country. So I mean, I mean, it's it's just it's just turning out to be a really really elite class. And the last thing I'll say, one thing that one guy I'm excited to see um, too that I see it pretty much every game with hanging out with Jefferson Boaz a lot. Um, is is Ethan West? I think Ethan West is going to be phenomenal. He hangs out with him. it's always right. Boaz, Kendall Carr, and Ethan West. They're always together on the sidelines before football games, and I'm really excited. I mean, he's I think the most physically impressive player just from a I, just seeing him in person. 
that I see on that sidelines every game. I mean, he just looks like a guy that right now is ready to go out there and suit up and, and compete at this level. So um, I'm really excited to see what, what he can do with that linebacker position next year when you just look at the lack of depth and, and, and um, potentially losing a couple guys too at that position. Mm-hmm. So, I'll, Anthony, before we end this, I want to ask you because I have I have actually not seen Des Evans in person. So can you okay. just give me, before we end it, can you just give me your impressions on, on in person what you've seen out of Des Evans? I would love to get your, your insight on that. Okay, so yeah. Um, so I went and saw him in their game on September 21st, I think was the day when they played uh, Trent, uh, Triton High School um, <laughs> out at Lee County. Um I mean, look, the first thing that sticks out about him, of course, is his size. I mean, just a humongous human being, 6'6". Six, six, um, you know, I mean, the weight, you know, is it fluctuates, and you can never tell because they're always going to lie on max preps about how big the kid is, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I, I've... From from watching him, you know, look, there's there's a lot of different aspects to what he can be as a pass rusher. Um, I liked him a little bit more standing up. Then I liked him in the dirt. I thought he was uh, he was able to get a better jump off the outside. Um, I don't think he's a guy that's going to dominate anyone with his speed. Um, I think he's you know more about physicality, and that's something that you know I think Carolina fans will like because we've had a lot of these speed rushers over the last couple of seasons. That was something that Larry Fedora loved a lot in his defensive ends. And I'm going to be honest, it just really didn't work. You you mentioned a guy in Jalen Dalton who came in as a four-star. The biggest thing that I think went wrong for Jalen Dalton was that he played out of position. Jalen exactly. Dalton should have been a defensive end. Um, exactly. You know, he's playing it a little – he played it a little bit in uh, the preseason with the Bears, and he looked like a completely different player. And you could tell that, you know, that was just – the, the staff just messed up on that one. Um, I would have been interested to see what Tim Cross would have been able to do with him, but unfortunately, you know, he he had he, he exhausted his eligibility. But, you know, to get back to Dez Evans, you know, I, look, just a physical specimen, a guy that is not going to have a problem with uh, being able to get past some of these offensive tackles that he's going to face. Um, I, I'm with you. I think he is going to have to definitely put on more weight. Um, but yeah, you you've kind of got the range where I'm thinking 265 to 270 is about where I would say he he's gonna need to be at because I think he's gonna play where Timon Fox plays, which is the yeah. stand up rush end position. Yeah, I think you're definitely um, right. And he's got the athleticism to seal off the edge and make tackles in space. Um, he's a guy that's got a, I mean, relatively high motor from what I've seen. I mean, you could tell that there is definitely some, some confidence there and a guy that knows that he's a really good football player, that he's rated really high. Um, but he, I mean, look, he's a guy that I think will, will come in and should have an immediate impact. And and like I said, I mean, you know, I I saw the comparisons to Jadavian Clowney. Um, I, I think that could be pretty accurate because he, he definitely looks like that style of player where he's maybe has a little bit of a smaller frame. And when you initially look at him, you would think, okay, this guy's got to be a guy that's going to, you know, burn past tackles with his speed. But once you actually put on the film of him, once you see him in person, you're like, oh, man, this guy is a physical I mean, he he's he's a he's got the bull in a china shop mentality. I love yeah. that phrasing, by the way. I love that anytime they bring that up. Um, but he's he's seriously a guy that is going to. I mean, if he gets, you know, the offensive tackle gets his hands on him, he's not afraid to be physical back and run through a guy. So it's it's uh, yeah, he's very impressive. Um, 
I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in the state that, you know, have, have their opinions about who out of the two is better, him or Simpson. I, I've seen both of them in person. Um, and, and I mean, it's it's extremely tough to tell. Um, it's just really kind of which style you like better. And the good news for Carolina fans, we may have both guys, so you may not have to decide between them. But uh, no, I, I, I'm telling you, man, he is um, he is very impressive. He's a guy that you know. I, I went to his game to scout, and I said, okay, you know, I, I've been. He's a real deal because there's five stars that I've gone and seen and, and as well as some four stars, and I come away saying, okay, I mean, I, you know, maybe they, they just didn't have that great of a game, but I'm not really seeing what all the hype is about. With, with Evans, it was definitely there. I don't think that he – I mean, I don't think he had his best game, but he was still, you know, very impactful, and that's the thing that is very – that impresses me more than anything. When you can look at a guy and say, you know what – I don't know if he was if he had the best game of his season, but he still looked really yeah. good. That's when you know that you've got a special player coming. And yeah, you know, I and feel one like thing, one thing I'll add, right. real quick, Anthony, to that is a lot of people were uh, a little up in arms about you know because he said he was going to his uh, post uh, commitment interview, whatever you want to call it. Right. He he mentioned that he was still you know going to take some visits to schools and, and whatnot. And yeah, yeah. I think the reason you know, I, I think. Right. For Des Evans. But I think the reason he is continuing to, to visit a few schools isn't because he's going to go anywhere else. I think it's just based on the fact that, okay, there's a very small percentage chance that he may not get into Carolina. Like I said, I think it's extremely small. It's interesting. Um, so, yeah, so he's got to, I think he okay. has to keep his recruitment open just right. a little bit. Um, and I'm not trying to knock the kids, uh, you know, knock the kids. No, I mean, it's a legit concern. Is, Carolina is an extremely tough school to get right. into, even at the football level. So I don't think it'll be a problem. I don't think that'll end up. I think I think there's about a 99% chance Deb, Des Evans Definitely. will be in Carolina. Yeah. But you never know uh, in this day and age. But Matt mentioned earlier in the year uh, when he first really, I think one of his first press conferences, he said, hey, you know, you got to really get elite. You're going to have to make exceptions for guys at times that maybe um, – a few years ago, for or you know, if they're not highly as rated, maybe wouldn't get it to school. But you know, for guys like this, I mean, if they're just maybe a little bit below that line, I mean, there's something you can work with and, and, and give that kid a chance to come here and, and prove it. But yeah, no, that's that's the only reason I had to mention that because I saw a little bit of people up in arms about that. And, and that's right. just like I said, purely a really a guess, but I think that. Okay. So talking to a few guys and kind of discussing it is probably the main reason he's okay. keeping that open. But well, nothing yeah. to worry about, I don't think. It Makes all. sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, that is one of the big things with, with Jaden Chalmers as well, his cousin yeah. who actually who plays at, at Lee County as well. Another guy that I, you know, I w- I've went and seen, and um, he's 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 pretty yeah. impressive. He's, he's going to be another yeah. guy that's going to take a little bit of time, probably have to put on a little bit more size, but he's good. But one of the reasons that you know he is kind of rated as low as he is, as well as you know they don't know. If he's you know 100% going to be in this class, is is because of you know the in the classroom stuff. But I know that they they did say right after he committed that they were working with Jaden in the classroom to make sure that he would meet the requirements. 
I'm going to tell you, if they're working with Jaden, they are definitely working with Dez. Yes, they are making sure that he will be ready to go. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, that, that, no, you, you were right because there were some people that were extremely up in arms over that. And here's my other thing. Even if he is going to take visits to other schools, which I don't think he's doing that anyways because he has not been to another school besides Carolina ex- o- only once. He's been to Florida. He's been to Carolina like 20 times. Right. It's unbelievable. I mean, he is always at Carolina. He's going to be there again this weekend for the two games. So, he's always there. Right. So, don't, I wouldn't be too concerned. That's a, that's honestly, you know what? I really hadn't thought about the academic side of things. You're probably right. But even if he is going to take looks elsewhere, at least the kid's not lying about it. He's a guy that says, look, I'm still open. I'm going to take visits elsewhere because you've got other guys around the country that will try to hide these types of things from these recruiting minds. And it's like, look, man. You're not going to hide anything. Like, yeah, they, find, yeah, <laughs> they all talk to each other. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, for, for you guys, you know, with Toriel Illustrated, you know, you or, or Andrew or, or uh, Jared, you're going to talk to guys that are associated with some of these other schools that some of these other guys may be looking at. So let's say that, you know, and again, pure, this is this is a made-up scenario. Toriel fans... We'll probably freak out about this. Let's say that Jacoby Criswell did take a visit to Arkansas or something like that. You guys would know about that because you have connections. Somebody would say something like, hey, someone would say something to you guys like, hey, he did take a visit here. Just want to let you know. Even if you guys call him on the phone and say, "Uh, did you take the visit there? And he says, no. I mean, you guys have your connections. So that's how it works in the recruiting world. Des Evans just said, look, you know, if if that's the reason why his recruitment's still open and he's looking elsewhere, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my recruitment open. I'm still I, I might still be looking elsewhere. So I, I mean, look, I don't blame the kid. I mean, look, it's your recruitment, right? It's your recruitment, um, and I mean, you know, this is the, I always like when this happens with. with college football fans because they get so bent out of shape over it and then it's like when you when you flip someone you say oh this is the greatest thing in the world but when it happens to you it's like oh this is terrible they shouldn't be allowed to do this i mean it's just it's part of it it's part of it so so yeah right exactly um so i mean you look if if you didn't have flips you wouldn't have chad surratt he would be a duke player you wouldn't have sam howell he would be the starting quarterback at florida state You wouldn't have Steven Gosnell in this class. I, I'm telling I mean, there's a lot of different things. If you go back and say you can't flip, once you commit, you commit. Uh, that that would be a lot different. So, um, exactly. but yeah, man. Hey, so, yeah, we've been going off for a little while here. But, hey. We can do this all day. Bro. Yeah. Oh, you're right about that, man. We love talking Tariel football. But, uh, yeah, hey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for stepping in, man. Uh, this was great. Um, I love having you on, as always. And I love being able to, you know, get your take on things. And, you know, you've definitely got a, a little more educated view than, than we do because, you know, you are around the team each and every day. We, unfortunately, are not. So, um, it's always good to have you by and uh, be able to talk a little bit of Tariel football. So, uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Andy. Like I said, yeah, I'll say it every time I come on here, but you guys are doing a tremendous job over there with what you're building it uh, to talk about the tough blog. So, 
Keep doing what you're doing, man. And really, I really love the fact that you're out in the field too. You're going to see these guys, going to see these recruits, and interviewing them after games. That's that's stuff that really nobody else is doing. Not very few people are doing. So keep that up. And you know, like I said, man, it's, it's fun to watch you guys continue to grow. And anytime you guys want me on the podcast, just give me a text, and we'll, we'll make it, we'll make it happen. All right, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, yeah. You take care. Um, I know you'll you'll be out there for the game against Duke. Uh, we'll be in our normal section as well. So. Uh, yes, sir. Best of luck, man, and uh, let's let's see if the Toriels can't pull one out and uh, keep themselves in the running for uh, the, a bowl and also an ACC Coastal uh, title, yeah. possibly. So. Yeah, man, it's going to be a fun one to watch, and uh, looking forward to seeing and how, how Carolina responds against Duke. And, you know, like you said, hopefully they'll come out and play a little bit better and, and bring that victory bow back to South Hills. There we go. All right, buddy. Hey, we'll talk to you down the line. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and uh, – yeah, hopefully, hopefully they find a way to pull it out, and maybe when we have you on next time, we'll be talking about a team that could potentially be heading back to Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir, Anthony. Thank you, man. All right, brother. All right, so that's Jacob Turner of Tar Heel Illustrated stopping by with us. Uh, guys, he just does a great job over there. Everybody at Tar Heel Illustrated over there, the Rivals affiliate for the Tar Heels, does a great job. So make sure you check out all their stuff. Make sure you check out all of our stuff as well. Um, you know, that, like he said, we've got a little bit of a different take on some of their uh, on some of the stuff that we do. Um, you know, we, we, we bring you a, a few opinionated pieces. They do as well, but, uh, you know, there's also some things that, that we're doing that, uh, that they're not. There's also some things that they're doing that we're not so you, you, you know go ahead check out all of them we're not one of those ones that discourages you from checking out anything else because look we know that we're we do some different stuff than everybody else does we're definitely not the insiders um that you know like they are that are following the team every day we know our stuff but we you know are aren't quite as in depth with it as they are so make sure you check out their stuff on torheelillustrated.com so um yeah no uh Thanks uh, to Jake for joining us. Uh, he, he does a fantastic job. Jacob Turner does a fantastic job. We've had him on so many times, and uh, glad he could step in today uh, with Josh on the shelf. Uh, Josh will be back next week. That is the plan. I believe he is still going to try to go to the game against Duke um, with me on Saturday. So we'll have the in-person view for you. Um, his scouting report, or excuse me, not scouting report, trench report for this week um, is uh, unfortunately is not going to be posted. Um, he uh, was unable to write one, of course, with him being sick. So we're not worried about that. Um, if you really need a, a recap of what Carolina did in the trenches against Virginia Tech, I can give you a quick one right here. The offensive side of the ball, they let up five sacks, and uh, on the defensive side of the ball, didn't get a whole lot of push up front either. That was one of the big reasons why Virginia Tech was so successful running the football, especially with Quincy Patterson. So there you go. Um, unfortunately, there, there wasn't a whole lot uh, to write about it anyways. Um, not, not a lot of good to take away from the game, but Carolina will hopefully rebound uh, in the trenches when they go to war on Saturday with Duke in the battle for the victory bell. Carolina looking for their first win in uh, four years. This will be four, four years uh, they're trying to uh, take home the victory bell, uh, keep it in Keenan Stadium with them. Don't let the Duke Blue Devils walk away with it. Uh, that's got to be the mindset of head coach Mac Brown right now. Um, and for all of the stuff that you guys need to get prepared, make sure you go to HeelToughBlog.com. We're going to have everything for you. We'll have the in-depth preview where we will give you guys the team breakdowns. We'll give you the team stats, injury reports, as well as the projected starting lineups. Uh, we'll also give you the keys to the game in there where you guys can check that out. Um, 
And then uh, also we'll have the recruiter uh, recruiting visitors list. They're going to be coming in. Uh, there's going to be plenty of them, big-time names that are coming in uh, this Saturday. So that will all be included in the preview. We'll then recap the game at the end, give you uh, what we learned. We'll do the stock report on Monday, and then the trench report will come out on Tuesday for the Duke game. So the, just how we've been doing it all year. Podcast next week. Um, I believe we will try to do one earlier in the week, so probably Monday. Um, um, with the recap, and then we will pick it up and do a preview for the Virginia game. Uh, that one is going to be a little bit interesting how we're going to do that because I am actually going to be out of town the day before the Virginia game. I am actually going to fly back for the Virginia game. So um, I think we are leaving on Wednesday of that week. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how we're going to do the preview, but we'll make sure that we get that out to you guys for the Virginia game so that you are prepared for everything uh, when it comes to the Tar Heels matchup uh, in the South's oldest rivalry, which will be a 7:30 kick in Keenan Stadium, that's the good news. It is going to be night uh, night kick, so uh, that, that's going to be a, a fantastic environment. That game, uh, I do not believe, is sold out just yet, but is getting very, very close. So, um, one thing I did want to do, uh, I, I'll I'll do what we normally do each week before we go um, when it comes to predictions. Focus on the Duke game. Um, I'll give you my game prediction. I think Carolina wins this one. It's going to be a defensive battle back and forth all day, but I think Carolina pulls it out 20-17. to 17. I think a very low-scoring game. Um, you know, We've kind of seen Carolina in some of those rough and back-and-forth defensive affairs throughout the season. Uh, their defense, you know, look, I, I mean, the secondary is definitely going to be a big question mark, but I think against Duke, this is a team that they will be able to, you know, find a way to slow down a little bit in the passing game. They definitely have to get more pressure on the quarterback than they did against Virginia Tech. Really, the big thing is make sure that Quentin Harris doesn't hurt you with his legs. We saw that that was one of the big reasons why Duke won a year ago was because Daniel Jones not only hurt uh, the Tar Heels through the air, also hurt him on the ground. So we got to make sure that Quentin Harris um, is not able to be as effective as we saw both Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson uh, a week ago. Uh, Carolina does that. I think they pull out the victory, and I, that's what I'm going to predict. 20-17, uh, to 17, as I said, is uh, my final prediction for that game. Uh, the player that I think we'll be talking about after the game is over, I'm going to go with, let's see here. Who do I want to go with? There were a couple that I was kind of tossing around in my head beforehand. I think Daz Newsom can carry over what he did a week ago against Virginia Tech. You could tell that there was definitely extra motivation in that game. But for Daz, you know, look, this is a team that, you know, he's performed pretty well against but doesn't have a win against in his career. I think that, you know, he realizes right now that the Torios will need him to step up with the fact that Deami Brown is – you know, going through a lower body injury, uh, something with his leg, and not 100% sure of what exactly it is. Now, they said he will play. Um, he is p probable um, to play in the game against uh, Duke. But at the same time, you still feel like, is he going to be 100%? You don't really know. That's why I think Daz Newsom has the big game. That'll be the guy that we'll be talking about on the defensive side of the football I think that, you know, look, the Tar Heels got to get after the passer. I think they do that in this game. Timon Fox has been the guy that's kind of been up and down throughout the season. I think this game is one of the ones where he's up after struggling a little bit against Virginia Tech. I think Timon Fox has a big day for Carolina on the defensive side of the football. And the key to the game for Carolina, in my from my perspective, 
is you got to be able to stop the run. That was the biggest thing that killed them a week ago, especially against the quarterback. I've talked about it uh, you know, just a minute ago, talked about it with Jacob a little while ago. If you slow down the run and force Quincy, Quentin Harris to try to beat you with the pass, you at least give yourself a chance in this game. Um, you know, they, I think last week they were just trying to you know help that secondary out by being a little bit farther back off the line of scrimmage. I think you know they, they simply just missed some gap assignments late in the game. That can't happen again. That's the one thing that you've got to be able to control because as we saw against Georgia Tech, as long as you're able to slow down the run. I mean, even if they are able to throw the ball around the yard, once it gets down inside that red zone, it's kind of tough to find the end zone passing the football. So I think Carolina, you know, that that's one of the things that they've got to do. Keep Duke uh, off the ground, make them go and win this game through the air, and I think Carolina will pull out the victory. So uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Of course, you guys can find this podcast on the Heel Tough Blog website, heeltoughblog.com slash podcast is where you can find the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Also, check it out on any of the major podcasting websites, Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Radio.com, Google Podcasts. Did I say Google Podcasts? Maybe I said, I don't know. I, I get confused. I think I said uh, iTunes, which isn't even uh, Apple Podcasts. That's what that is. But all of those places where you can find all that stuff, uh, you, you can find the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, every podcasting site you can get it. So, uh, once again, want to thank Jacob for stepping in for us, helping us out uh, here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast to help you guys recap the game against Virginia Tech and then preview the game against Duke. We'll be back to our normal schedule next week. Josh will be back with me, and we will be talking some Tar Heel football, hopefully a Tar Heel win against the Blue Devils. So, once again, thank you to Jacob Turner. Thanks to you guys for listening, and as always, go Tar Heels!